Hi everyone, it's Julia back with another mini-sode of the Ethical Consumer Podcast. This mini-sode is a little bit more of a wrap-up of the guests that we have had so far and a few of the things that we've learned from them. Also, I would love for you to be aware that we will be hosting a giveaway in the next few weeks that will have a chance for you to win some of the amazing products and crafted goods that our guests have created. Do be watching our social media channels to figure out how you can enter. And I will, of course, put a little tagline with some instructions in some of our future episodes so that you can get your hands on some of those goods. So let's start at the beginning. Episode number one was with Ross Street Roasters founder, Brian Gum. And Brian and I talked a lot about the coffee industry in general, but also what makes their brand, their coffee so special is the fact that they work with direct trade. By getting direct trade coffee, you can be sure that the farms that those roasters are working with have a direct, as in direct trade, connection to what's going on how their coffee beans are being grown, how they're being harvested, and how those farms, those plantation owners are also giving back to their employees. Brian mentioned that the coffee farms that he works with not only are doing no harm in creating safe working conditions for their workers, but also giving back even more, offering classes at the end of the workday, making sure that they have a future beyond just what they're doing on the plantation. He also mentioned if you're interested in starting your own business, whatever it may be, that you make sure your family is 100% on board. And we got another little hint of that with episode three, which I'll talk about in just a moment. In episode two with Cassie Green of Cassie Green Health Elderberry Syrup, we chatted a little bit about our experiences working in the food and wellness industries, mine at a small health food store, and hers as not only a consumer, of course, but also a buyer for her own health food store and as the seller of her elderberry syrup. We talked about how important it is that there is trust between every step and every person involved in that transaction, from supplier to seller to buyer. Trust is one of the most important things that you can have. In episode three, I sat down with Kyle Seek of Local Burrito slash Heartland Burrito to discuss his diversified food company, being able to offer similar products in different ways, whether it be through wholesale, food truck, catering, or now, getting their Blue Horse Bar, their bar cart or bar truck, similar to food truck, off the ground and fully operational. Kyle mentioned that being able to give back to his community and his employees as well is one of the most important things. Being able to craft your business around your life and not the other way around. So often we are consumed by our jobs, whether it be in the food and beverage industry or not, that we forget to make room for the life outside of our careers and our employers. Episode four was our live episode. If you're watching this on YouTube, you're already familiar with it. If you're listening to this on a podcast platform, head to our YouTube channel to check it out. I sat down with Rachel Beck, who at the time was their sustainability coordinator. And we wish Rachel all of the best on her next adventure as she will be moving out of state. I know single speed will miss her and I will miss having her in the community. 
In our episode, we chatted about how Single Speed is using solar panels to offset most of their brewing costs. In our episode, we chatted about how Single Speed is using solar panels to offset their brewing costs and recycled and repurposed an entire building with the help of the city of Waterloo and through the Historic Society. They are now not only able to give their community a wonderful renovated building and tap room to partake in, but also able to give back to local nonprofits and events around the area that they choose to partner with. Episode 5 was with my dear friend Kat Duvik and she and her partner's company Social Mixers. We discussed again the importance of knowing where your food has come from, being able to have that personal relationship with your customers if it's possible, if you're operating at a farmer's market type situation, and if your product is still exclusively local in your own community. We also discussed the importance and the difficulty of recycling glass. Glass is extremely heavy to ship. Bless our United States Postal Service. But glass is also challenging to recycle it in some areas. In her home state of Louisiana, after Hurricane Katrina, Nolens stopped taking glass for recycling. It was extremely cost prohibitive to do so. Nearby cities do take glass, but Nolens and a few in Iowa either don't take glass or only take it at certain sites and then send it elsewhere to be processed. Through many of our episodes, we have learned that not everything is black and white. It's not just being able to use recyclable materials. It's also having a place to recycle them. Not just using compostable packaging, but also making sure that there's an area that you can compost said package. Episode 4 with Carol Fassbinder Orff, a beekeeper and researcher at Creighton University, we discussed the importance of bees to the pollination of so many things we don't even think about. We have to protect our pollinators. And by shipping them around to California for almonds, and then to a completely different state for a different crop, we're exposing our bee colonies to so many different other colonies which may be carrying a virus, or some other instability that could cause hive collapse. We really started to look at the big picture in this episode with how much we rely on bees to be able to continue certain crops. But when we put pesticides on these crops to make them hardier and more resilient, these pesticides can be harmful to our bees. If we don't have our pollinators, the crops and plants don't get pollinated. But the U.S. has to keep up with its ever-growing demand in its food supply chain that pesticides are still used. Not everything is black and white. Our beekeepers and our farmers are only doing what we ask them to do, and that is to grow our food, to pollinate the crops that will grow more food. We don't want those jobs and those livelihoods to disappear. We don't want the health of our bee colonies to decline as we certainly need the bees to pollinate the food that we are eventually going to eat. We're really kind of stuck, and this episode really highlighted that. We stepped away from my Midwest comfort zone for episode 7 with 12 Tides founder Pat Schnettler. Pat grew up in a conservationist family out in the San Francisco Bay Area and has created these kelp snacks. And kelp, I swear... Kelp is the new kale, guys. You'll heal that in a future episode as well. It's such a wonderful plant, such a wonderful ingredient, and great for marine life and ocean health. 
Pat's innovation is with their compostable packaging and how they give back through regenerative farming practices and making sure that they are giving just as much, if not more, than they are taking. As I said previously, we highlighted the difficulty of compostables and recyclables in this episode. Personally, where I live, there is no city-funded place that you can go to drop off your compostables. Any compost site where I live is devoted to only yard waste. We also highlighted the difference between compostable and biodegradable. Many things are biodegradable to a certain extent. It just depends on how fast. Pat's certified compostable packaging, if I remember correctly, is guaranteed to biodegrade in roughly six years when presented in the proper environment for composting. That proper environment is pretty key. Are compostables going to break down better and easier than plastics are? Yes, of course. But as soon as we get more people on the compost bandwagon, I will admit, myself included, Hopefully, we'll see some more sites popping up so that compostable packaging will have the end life that was intended. Episode 8, we hopped back to the Midwest with Eric Jensen of Yellow Table Farm to discuss how he is making moves toward organic farming, though is not certified yet. And his preferred process is to use a no-till type of farming. So he's not breaking up the ecosystem of the soil of the worms, of the insects, and he's using his animals to help. On one plot of land, he will have his sheep. The sheep eat the fresh grass, they do their business, no pun intended, and then he moves them to a different plot. He's also created a system of having a mobile chicken coop. So after the sheep are done with a plot of land, the chicken coop moves in and the chickens go through and clean up everything that the sheep left behind. This process ensures that the land is getting naturally fertilized, naturally cleaned up, and naturally turned over and ready for when he wants to put a different crop of vegetables or some other type of produce. We also highlighted the importance of having a wonderful close-knit network. He works with a few other farmers in the area, flower farms, animal farms, produce farms, you name it. They're all working together to be able to accomplish what they need to accomplish Many hands make light work, and he is always giving back to his community as well, even working with schools and participating in food court food rescue as well. Episode 9, we took a little adjacent product episode with this one, talking with Ecolips founder Steve Shriver. And as I mentioned in this episode, the lip balm is considered a cosmetic. It does go on your lips. And one could argue that we probably consume quite a bit of the lip balm we apply. Equalips was started in 2003 and was very much ahead of its time as far as certifications and caring about organic and the quality of ingredients when they're not able to be sourced organic. We tied this back to our episode with Carol Fassbinder Orff, highlighting the difficulty of obtaining organic beeswax. Apiaries can only be certified organic if within five miles they're all certified organic farms or guaranteed that there's no pesticides being used because pesticides spread so much through spray, through the air. That is a large piece of land that has to be compliant in order to certify that hive and that colony. We talked about some of the efforts that he's doing in the Cedar Rapids, New Bohemia area 
to revitalize some of the old rundown warehouses and continuing to give back to his community in the form of entrepreneurship coaching and financial gifts to the most recent tragedy in Cedar Rapids area, the derecho land hurricane that came through and devastated nature preserves, homes, and several businesses in the downtown area. Episode 10, I discussed farming for public health with Audrey Tron Lam of Farming for Public Health Program at University of Northern Iowa. Audrey shed a whole lot of light on how Iowa is really the foundation of the food system of the U.S. Not only did COVID-19 highlight some major difficulties and unsafe working conditions in meatpacking plants, but also some underlying health issues that some Iowans may be having due to our soil quality, water quality, and air quality. And again, farmers are only doing what we ask of them. Here in the Midwest, to grow corn, to grow soybeans, to raise livestock, and be able to feed the whole U.S. However, unfortunately, there's a lot that goes into these farming practices that do start to pollute our soil, water, and air. Iowans and other Midwesterners may see more pollution as the goods are shipped elsewhere. Audrey aims to create change between farmers, consumers, pesticide companies, and lawmakers to start to clean up our act and create a better, healthier living situation for anyone that may be affected by these farming practices and at the same time maintain the food supply and demand that is required here in the U.S. In our most recent episode, episode 11, I sat down with Good Galaxy founder Stanley Prowarijaya and talked about why he is using canola oil as opposed to palm oil. And again, not everything is black and white. Stanley mentioned the history of why people started using palm oil and then why they started to backpedal when they realized that the supply and demand would be too much for the environment to keep up with. Palm kernel oil does not have the most sustainable harvesting practices, though there is a movement right now to make sure that companies are taking longevity, animal safety, and forest preservation in mind when they are planting and harvesting palm kernel oil. His goal in creating Good Galaxy chocolate spreads was to have a nutritious snack for his kids and a substitute for peanut butter. I learned a lot as to why canola oil is actually a very beneficial oil, having a favorable ratio of omega-3s to omega-6s and being more gentle on the environment. If any of these sparked your interest and you've not yet listened to them, I highly encourage you to give it a go. Each guest, each episode presented new information, and at the same time, it was almost like they all tied in together. They slowly started to build upon one another as we uncover more problems and the people who are here to solve them and keep learning about how everything really is connected. One small step at the consumer level, at the supplier level, at the farmer level does help. All of these small steps do help create a more sustainable future. Keep doing the good work, guys. And again, stay tuned to hear about our upcoming giveaway so you can win some of these fantastic products from our guests. Go check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and I will see you next time, guys.